All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Stack Strength Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daniel DeBrock, and today we have a special guest, uh, Ali Gilbert. So, Ali, thanks so much for jumping on. Super excited to have you here. Uh, I've been following your content for a while now, and uh, you put out some really, really awesome stuff. And I really like how you bring a lot of satire to to some of the work that you do as well. I try and do the same thing, and so it's really cool to to see someone, especially. In, in your field because you do a lot of stuff on men's health and so uh, for people who maybe aren't familiar can you give a little bit of a background of who you are and kind of what you've been yeah to? sure thank you for having me um, basically I've been in the strength and conditioning world uh, since 1999 when I entered Springfield College and majored in exercise science and like everybody who majors in exercise science and strength conditioning I wanted to work in strength and conditioning and back then, there wasn't really money in the hat, uh, especially for women. Um, it was not like kind of not a thing yet. And I started working in a commercial gym, training people in my hometown, and realized, you know what? I'm training a lot of guys that play golf. And I was like, golf is a sport, so that's working with athletes. So I started to realize that I should just learn everything I could about golf which I knew nothing because I played soccer in college. So I was like, oh, Titleist has a certification in golf fitness. So I did that. I went all in in that. And my entire clientele was men. So working with men for golf fitness, type A, just like athletes. And then you soon realize men never go to the doctor. They're asking me all these nu nutrition questions and supplement questions and taking random things off the shelf. And I was like, all right, so no one's really kind of cornered like the men's health world. I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about men's health. So I kind of just ran with it and created my niche, so to speak, working with guys and started getting into the TRT and testosterone replacement world. And I've spoken at medical conferences. I've networked with tons of doctors. I've got a great group of guys that I refer to. Um, and learned everything I could about how men's physiology works. I would say I've learned everything about men, but when it comes to like the dating sphere, I try to provide as much advice as I can to women. Haven't really mastered that yet, but I would say when it comes to men's health, I think that's literally been my passion project, um, and I really love what I do. And when people say like it doesn't feel like work, like it really you know, there's days as an entrepreneur where we're all overwhelmed, but honestly, working with guys and helping them navigate all these very sensitive conversations when it comes to testosterone replacement or sexual dysfunction and stuff like that really is what makes me like thrive. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I guess that's actually a really great lead into, um, the, the first thing that I wanted to ask you. So you made a recent post. I'm just going to kind of read it here, actually, because I thought it was a really, really fantastic post. And this is a, uh, well, I'll just kind of read it and then ask the question, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so you wrote, the future of men's health is uncertain. Younger men are being told everything they've ever known about being a real man is wrong. Masculinity has become a dirty word. People would prefer to eradicate anyone plus anything representing it from the social narrative. Testosterone creates confidence, clarity, drive, and dozens of other positive things in men. Yet it is still positioned as a taboo, unnecessary, dangerous compound. Men are more anxious, confused, weak, unhealthy than ever. So I, I really thought that was a pretty succinct description of kind of what's going on at, at the moment. Um, and I was wondering how this perspective 
sort of evolved and how it shapes your approach in working with men? Like, obviously, there's going to be a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario here, but I was wondering if you just kind of expand on that. Um, so the testosterone and masculinity concept? Um, yeah, just, just that post, I guess. So... The whole, the whole kind of concept. Yeah. So it, it, it's been interesting how like there's been, seems to have been like this kind of movement where, um, I don't even know really when it actually started, but it seemed that anything relating to being a man has become a negative thing. And usually when I give lectures, especially to younger coaches and I bring up the term toxic masculinity, like, they look at me like, oh, my God, she's going to go off on a tangent. This chick has a faux hawk. Like, she's going to come at us, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I really hate that term. And I do because I think that people can be toxic. It's not related to male or female. And literally having, like, the physical makeup of what a man's physique is should not feed into the narrative of, like, men being bad and toxic and stuff like that. And I've talked about how in the past, like if you think about what action figures, superheroes, GI Joes, all their physiques and what they look like emulates what the typical man's physique would be dating all the way back to statues in ancient Rome and like Caesar and, and those uh, Hercules, like that's what the man's physique would look like. And now we've gone into this acceptance movement of a dad bod or, you know, somebody being overweight and it's okay. And now we're all fragile if we talk about it and stuff like that. And I really hate that because it has to do with health. And it's not my opinion as to if somebody is overweight, whether that's good or bad. It's more, all right, if you have too much body fat and you have too much visceral fat surrounding your organs, that's a health problem. It's not an opinion. It's not a social issue. It's actually a health problem. So we're com com combining that with somebody acting chivalrous and calling it something that is toxic. And I actually did a poll on Instagram a couple years ago or last year when this all was, you know, well, it's still crazy. But I asked women, you know, do you still appreciate chivalry? And 90% of them said yes. And I would say 75% and I've actually looked 75% of my following is men on Instagram. So it's not like this, you know, mass following of dudes answering the questions. It was a very specific niche of women. And I asked also if they appreciated compliments and stuff that is kind of scary to guys because guys do feel lost. Like, can I compliment Allie on her sweatshirt that says, I just want to tone because it's really funny. Is Allie going to label me as a creep? Like, Stuff like that, you know, they're, they're just very hesitant. And I've talked to my colleagues in the strength conditioning world. I'm like, do you guys feel weird being around a woman or saying something nice? Because now you can't just be nice because that comes across creepy. So now we're telling men you can't be nice, but you can't be a jerk. Like, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> so it's so confusing. And now a man who is low in testosterone, if we don't think these social issues are affecting a guy's testosterone, then that's honestly crazy because it has to. Because now we're telling men to suppress everything about themselves and that inherently is going to lower testosterone. So now that winning hormone that creates that drive and that motivation in men is being suppressed. Like, of course it's going to be lowered. 
So it, it's very interesting to watch all of this kind of unfold and then have a social stigma attached to testosterone replacement if a guy thinks that he's suffering from that. Because if a woman goes through menopause and she hops on HRT, like no one bats an eye. But if a guy's like, oh, I might have low T, they're like, oh, you're cheating. You're on steroids. You don't need that. Blah, 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 blah. So that's mm-hmm. a long tangent. But <laughs> it's, it's funny about drug use or testosterone, even in an HRT setting, because I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, oh, you know, I don't ever want to do testosterone. I just want to stay natural. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fair. I was like, but you take supplements, though, right? They're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so you take BCAAs, you take creatine, you take all these things. I'm like, what differentiates that from steroids? He's like, well, there's health issues. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're, so you're not actually concerned about, you know, quote, unquote, natural. It's more about the health issues. He's like, well, no, it's... And anyways, about 15 minutes in, it was just like, okay, basically, you just have this massive bias and stigma around drugs, and you don't really have any good reasons for it, Right. And again, I'm not, I've never pushed drugs on anyone, so I'm not trying to, you know, make, make that claim. It was just, I always just find it interesting people's perspectives on these things. When you ask a couple questions, there's not really a good rationalization for why creatine is acceptable, but testosterone or something else isn't, you know, they're both exogenous substances you're taking. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to take it, go ahead and take it. Right. And obviously there's like the cheating thing, but assuming someone's not competitive in an athlete or whatever, and they're not in a tested pool you know, there likely shouldn't be any sort of issues around that. But um, so I guess it leads to the, the next question. Like, what are some of the common misconceptions around testosterone and HRT? And I guess the broader hormonal milieu uh, for, for men that you come across often, because low T can lead to like, you know, things like depression, um, heart attacks, various forms of cancer and a variety of other problems, right? So what are some of the main misconceptions and how do you go about addressing some of them when you're talking with clients or just your broader social audience? So those things you just mentioned legitimately are what guys think testosterone will cause. And I've made posts on the fact that if you have low testosterone, you're more susceptible to having a cardiovascular event, developing cancer, um, stroke, because testosterone is neuroprotective and cardioprotective. And the main reason behind that is because it converts into estrogen, which is a whole nother topic in and of itself, because the bodybuilding community tends to push blocking estrogen, which is probably one of the most detrimental things a man can do. But one of the bigger misconceptions on that is that it's going to cause roid rage. It's going to um, cause like a high blood pressure to the extent where it's a health problem and, you know, all the things I just mentioned. So it's usually the miseducation and misinformation because GPs or doctors who are not informed on the evolved literature will still say that it causes all those things. So when clients bring that up, I will just educate them as to how all of those things have been upended and refuted. I have plenty of studies to show them the opposite. I have doctors in my network who speak on this. One of them is urologist, Dr. Jordan Grant, who has guys with active prostate cancer who are on TRT. And the reason for that is because the conversion into estrogen will kill the cancer cells and how they've shown, they have shown studies. There are legitimate studies that do not show that testosterone causes prostate cancer. It's all correlation. It does not cause it. I have the studies to show if anybody wants to see that, but 
Same thing with the heart attacks, same thing with the strokes. A lot of this has been completely thrown out. So then you go to somebody who is evolved, who does deal with testosterone replacement every day, then they know how to have this conversation and do things the right way. And we're not talking super physiological doses because a lot of guys think, you know, like you said, natural. Well, testosterone is a natural hormone. You produce it in your body. So you technically are doing something natural because replacement dose is literally replacing what you should already be biologically producing. Nothing more. So for the people who, or the guys who think that it's a panacea, which is the other end of the spectrum of what testosterone doesn't do, they think they'll just sit on the couch, inject testosterone, and then explode into muscles. I mean, you and I both know a lot of guys who are on not only testosterone, but other things, and still have to go to the gym and do the work to look the way they do. So if anything, it will help augment their recovery and help promote the other benefits of it from like a brain and heart perspective. So it's not a panacea and it's not going to solve all your problems. And it's also not something that's going to be a detriment to your health. It's actually going to enhance your health. But there's all these scary things of they're going to lose their hair. They're going to get a bunch of acne. They're going to get cancer. They're going to get prostate cancer. They're going to have a heart attack, you know, all these things. And it's really more the social stigmas attached to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned it is a bit of a gradient, right? Like it's it's a dose-response relationship in that taking, let's say, 180 megs of test a week or something like that is very different than taking a gram of testosterone yeah. with Dianabol and a bunch of other stuff. And, and yeah, two totally different uh, effects. But it's funny, too, because, you know, as you mentioned a, a moment ago or alluded to a moment ago, no one would really look at someone who's diabetic and talk shit for them having to take insulin. Yeah. You know, no one's gonna be like, oh, you're, you're just a drug. It's like, no, dude, I, I need insulin or I'm going to fucking die. Yeah. You know, like, and, but yeah, it's, it's funny because I think the time course of health too is, is a little bit different because if you don't take insulin, then yeah, your health deteriorates pretty rapidly. But if you're not taking testosterone, your quality of life deteriorates and it's much slower, I guess, degradation, uh, or rate of degradation. And so I don't think it's necessarily given as much thought or, or legitimacy sometimes, you know, like often it's seen as just an excuse, like, like you said, oh, you're just doing it because you want to take steroids. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Cause it's like, if you need thyroid hormone, nobody acts like this. And, and yeah. I think it, it's also the fact that it comes in a needle, but like you said, insulin comes in a needle. So why are we not all freaking out? You know, maybe because taking testosterone comes with a certain physical aesthetic. And I'm like, cool. I know a ton of guys on TRT that are still overweight, that don't look like they lift. Like, why is this such an issue when this is something that men need for their health? Or if they're like, well, I have to talk to my wife. Why do you have to talk to your wife? I want to know, seriously, why, why must you ask permission to take a medication? Would you ask her permission to take a Tylenol? That seems ridiculous, right? So, Yes, there's a cost associated, but it's not like buying a car. If you're going to buy a car, maybe, yes, talk to your wife because that's a large purchase or a house. Like, don't go randomly buying random mansions. Like, sure. But when you need a medication to sustain your life and reduce any side effects or, or reduce the likelihood of having an event, I think that that's something you should 
still look to do and explore on your own because that's for your own personal health and nobody's going to care as much about someone as themselves. Nobody is. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's an interesting yeah. um, social, uh, I, I don't know the word, but it, it's just, I never hear more often than I need to ask my wife permission than when it comes to TRT. That's really funny, actually, because I never, obviously, I'm not in that same field. So I, I don't do any sort of consulting on hormones or exogenous substances. I'm always very upfront with that. I'll just refer them to someone else like Broderick Chavez yep. or, or someone else that I know. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't really hear that. But I guess that one kind of surprises me. But at the same time, it doesn't. Yeah, I you mean, know? it's more it's, because it's the, they're, they're miseducated. And I'm like, have your wife talk to me mm -hmm. and, and not because I'm going to like go at her, but I'm going to put her mind at ease over these scary things of heart attacks, cancer, stuff like mm. that. That's where it comes yeah, down no. to. That definitely makes sense. So one of the things that um, I think a lot of people have been sort of wondering is why we start seeing this decline in testosterone, you know, like since the, the 50s, the 70s, the 60s, like we're always seeing this pretty precipitous drop off of testosterone over the last couple of decades. And I was wondering if you had any sort of insight or even like, you know, probably not due to one thing, but let's say like a, a combination of several different sort of intersecting uh, issues. Like, could you kind of expand on that and, and maybe at least even present from your perspective what you think it might be? So a big part of it is our sedentary lifestyle. So even though this is um, like there's there's sperm production worldwide decreasing up to about 60 percent. But testosterone is also on a steep decline, 1% since, you know, 40 years ago. And a lot of the reason for that is technology has made us lazier. So we don't necessarily need to do as much as we did. So one of like the analogies or, or that I use in some of my lectures is I'll show a photo of a TV from the 80s. Were you born in the 80s? Or, or, yes. yes. So... You're born in the 80s. We had to actually stand up, go change the TV channel. We had like 13 TV channels, maybe. You had to like hit the box for it to like have a clear picture. So now we don't have to do that. Like we can press a button. We have a remote that's like a universal remote hooked up to the entire house. We used to have to like go on the other side of a car to unlock the other door. We didn't have a key start remote. We don't really have to walk anymore because we've got segways, we've got, you know, transportation all over the place. And even like stalking people, like we don't have to physically go hide in somebody's bushes, we can do it on social media. So, <laughs> I mean, unless I'm the only one that stalked dudes like outside their bedroom, but anyway, like we have just inherently become lazier. So we don't have to move as much because you can sit on the couch and order alcohol, food, a wife, a husband, like to your doorstep. So that alone tells your body, well, we can just accumulate fat and just hang out because we don't need to walk around. Combine that with the increase of technology and the chemicals that are required to increase this technology production are fake estrogens. They're called endocrine disrupting chemicals and they're found in plastics. They're found in... Um, like toxic fumes, there's carpets, like pretty much anything around us is toxic and chemical. And 
when when we used to heat up Tupperware back in like you know the early two thousands in plastic, now that's really bad. So we used to make fun of people that like would have glass and stainless steel, and they would be like tree hugging dorks. And now it's kind of like our reality where, yeah, you don't really want to be using plastic and heat it up. You don't want to be drinking water out of water bottles that have been sitting in your car in the heat. So same with birth control on women, which has completely increased in the last forty years. If women use the restroom, they excrete those estrogens that are synthetic into the water, and the water, your Brita water filter is not going to filter that out. So now we have more hormones coming in our bodies that are fake, attaching to our receptors and telling our body all these different confusing things. And so because of this, one of the big chemicals called phthalates, parabens is another one, xenoestrogens, those are the name of these chemicals. Because of the exposure to these, it changes the architecture of the human anatomy. Men are being more feminized. They might be born with one testicle, one ovary. One of the big differentiators is uh, the distance between the scrotum and the anus, or the taint, or the grundle, whatever you want to call it. Officially, it's called the anogenital distance. And I tell everyone, like, the best way to remember this is my initials, A.G., so that AG distance, just think of me and taints, because everyone thinks of me and dicks already. That is decreasing. So it's shorter on men. It should be longer. So now there's less exposure to testosterone already in utero. So guys are coming out with less exposure to testosterone than they did back when we were growing up and our dads and our grandfathers. So now they're already suppressed. They're not developing through puberty the way they used to. And so this is creating a lower testosterone generation in Gen Z where kids in their 20s have more anxiety, less confidence, more sexual performance anxiety because they don't have the hormonal exposure or the androgenization that you know we did growing up. So this is part of the problem. And so younger guys are maybe needing testosterone because they're not quite there developmentally. But a big part of it is going to be the chemicals and the obesity and the sedentary nature. Um, it, it's just crazy because we don't do what we used to do, which is live outside, you know, play outside until it got dark, stuff like that. That's just not happening anymore. So it's really crazy and it seems like super far fetched. But if you look at like the studies, Dr. Shanna Swan is probably the, the leading author on this. She was on Joe Rogan. She talks all about this stuff. And you listen to her and you're like, what? And if you read her book, which is called Countdown, she's got some scary statistics, but it's true. And she makes points like, you know, if I were pregnant with a male baby, if I expose myself to certain toxics, toxic chemicals, I can affect his sperm production when he gets older. Like, yo, that's really weird. But... Yeah, it's that. That's a whole nother <laughs> rabbit hole. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, that that's wild. So, you did mention a couple of things. So, obviously, like plastics, uh, just general physical exercise, maintaining lower levels of adiposity, especially visceral fat, things like that. Like, what what are some of the things that you recommend typically from both a preventative standpoint and if someone does have you know, low T and you're trying to kind of bolster that up, what are some of the things that might be inhibiting their production of testosterone or maybe let's say utilization or, or whatever? So a big one would be like sleep automatically is something that's going to pull testosterone down if you're consistently depriving yourself. 
So they did, there's a study five hours a night over the course of a few weeks dropped men's test levels 15%. So that in itself, plus it makes you more insulin resistant. So, you know, that comes with a whole slew of other issues. Um, there's, there's, um, what was your question again? <laughs> um, preventative measures yes. or, yeah. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to like the toxic stuff, it's so overwhelming and men are very, very simple. And if you provide guys structure and specific instructions, it's a lot easier for you guys to execute just from coaching guys like this has come about. So I know most men like their shampoo, their conditioner, their, their body wash, their car's motor oil, their shaving cream in one thing, not multiple bottles. So any product you put on your body every day, I would look to have something that's phthalate free and chemical free and stuff like that. Then switch out any plastic for glass or stainless steel. Third thing would be a water filter that filters all the gnarly stuff out, probably has like a carbon filter in it. Uh, the big Berkey is a very popular water filter. So that's something that's really good because you can go so deep in many rabbit holes with this as far as like, eliminating EMS from your bedroom, a shower head filter, like it, it gets a little bit crazy. And then I would say like, you know, changing your circadian rhythm is going to help with the sleep. If you expose yourself to light, like it's very simple stuff that we just take for granted, but it's so similar to the fitness industry, the simple, basic compound lifts, they still work a lot and really well. So getting the right light exposure at the right times and then going to bed still works, but it's so basic and it's so boring and it's really hard to sell. So if somebody has low testosterone, they get their labs done. It's important to take like an inventory of what their life is like. Are you actually going to bed and getting sleep? Are you managing your stress? All the boring shit. How is your nutrition? Is your nutrition a hot mess? Then we need to handle that. So are you exercising? Are you lifting? A lot of my guys under eat. They train too much. This is usually what women get pegged with. So that's also going to bring test levels down over time. So it's understanding what is going on in that person's life. And then, because you're going to have to do this regardless if you go on TRT or not, then if we've taken inventory of everything going on, we still have symptoms. Okay, maybe then we explore going on TRT. But why don't we try to fix what we can from a natural standpoint and then get ourselves as resilient as possible before we explore that? Because the lower your body fat, the leaner you are, the better it's just going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so even I guess to touch on like sort of an adjacent topic, like even if you are looking to use PEDs to enhance your performance purely just from a performance standpoint, you still definitely want to do all those things because it's like if you're drinking and using recreational drugs and staying up late and doing a bunch of other shit and then you add like PEDs into the mix, your your health risk goes up like exponentially. And and the benefits you're going to get are going to be dampened out as well. And so, yeah, it just makes sense to actually get your lifestyle in order before you decide to do those things in the first place. But that's that's the hard thing. <laughs> that's, well, that's where that's the not whole the easy fix everything is going to be. comes from. Like guys think, you know, yeah. oh, it's going to fix all my problems, but... Yeah, that's interesting. And so one of the things that I've had to work on a ton, especially with a handful of athletes, so most of my clients are coaches themselves. Um, 
And a handful of them are like very, very successful coaches, like either have a franchise or like just are involved in tons of different entrepreneurial things. And so their sleep is all over the fucking map. And like, I've always found that for most, for most of these guys, you know, you can kind of like pick one or two things. And if you fix that one thing, 80 of the things downstream tend to just resolve themselves. And one of the things that I've really, really noticed has been very difficult for them, but once we dial it in, everything else seems to improve, is exactly what you were saying regarding sleep. But specifically, like, the time they go to bed and the time that they wake up and really establishing that normal biological circadian rhythm as opposed to just whatever sleep schedule they get. Because a lot of the times, they might be getting 9, 10 hours sleep on average, but then you look and it's like, oh, you're always groggy, your performance is, is so variable, you feel like shit all the time. And just by shifting it back to, to those parameters a little bit, maybe getting to bed, let's say between 10 and 11 PM, ideally, and then waking up, you know, whatever time, even if they're getting less total hours of sleep, the quality of sleep they're getting ends up being substantially better. And they have much more stable and consistent energy levels. Their mood is better. Anxiety, depression goes down, like just so much stuff. Um, and I'm someone who has like major sleep issues. So I have sleep apnea and like CPSD and CPTSD and, and some other things. And so that's been like a major focus of mine, especially the last couple of months and will remain for the rest of the year essentially until I can get that hundred percent dialed in <laughs> because man, it makes such a huge difference. Oh yeah. Like a lot of guys don't realize it's, it's if wild. they snore, they probably have some form of sleep apnea, which as you know, is directly correlated to testosterone levels. It'll plummet those levels. Like if you don't get that addressed mm -hmm. and that's a big part of it. You know, especially yeah. lifters, too. Especially guys who are bigger and, and, you know, if they have bigger necks and stuff, they, they just don't realize that. And they're like, well, I don't want to live with the machine for the rest of my life. And, you know, there's other interventions, like there's mouth guard or mouth guards. Yeah, like mouth um, mouth guards that you can get that shift your jaw in certain positions and stuff like that for travel and all that. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's the so... thing. A lot of my clients are coaches, too. And this is something, yeah. you know, we're very guilty of being overstimulated, whether from energy drinks, Adderall, like just entrepreneurship in itself. And you go to bed and you're like staring at the ceiling or sc scrolling on your phone and then someone pisses you off online. And then you forget if you email the client or you're thinking about the next day, like it's crazy. So getting people to like calm the fuck down, it's a big part of our job. <laughs> Yeah, no, 100%. So the li lifestyle is definitely huge. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to uh, touch on was dietary interventions to that impact testosterone because oftentimes there's things like, oh, fasting increases growth hormone by X amount, but it ends up being this really transient effect that has no bearing on actual results or like the sauna or all these different things. And so, you know, I did want to know what your thoughts were on dietary interventions and their actual impact on hormonal health, because obviously there's a fairly strong correlation there. But if you could just kind of unpack that a little bit. Yep. So say a guy who, who's not on testosterone gets his labs done and his sex hormone binding globulin, which is a, a glycoprotein that testosterone or free testosterone binds to, is quite high. So if that's high, that means a lot of your usable testosterone is bound. Lower carb diets can increase that. And the guys, guys are not aware of that. And we saw a lot of this when keto started to explode a few years ago and everyone was trying that or paleo as well. So usually if they're extremely low carb and they're training a lot, we will make that shift of getting guys in a position where they can handle more carbohydrates. 
which does have to do with their body composition. I tend to draw guys who are around 20% body fat or lower. So dropping down towards 15% makes them more insulin sensitive and then we can increase the carbs. But that really fuels their energy to be able to perform in the gym. So if they're training a lot and they're feeling like crap, we're going to lower the volume of training. Most guys do very well in four days. No one needs to do seven days. I don't understand the obsession. If you want to go for a walk, take a rest day. Like that's going to do a lot more, especially if you're not eating enough. So otherwise, some guys go really too low fat for too long. There's a time and a place to go very low fat when you're sliding into a show or a photo shoot or you're just trying to get like super dick skin lean, but you don't live in that low fat percentage because fat helps produce cholesterol which helps make your hormones. So if you deprive your body of that for too long, then all of a sudden your testosterone production is gonna kind of go down. So that's really what I looked at initially and everyone does a food log before I do a consult with them or work with them. Majority of the time, even coaches are low on protein. So that, as we know, if your protein's too low, your body is not going to retain or build muscle and that's a big thing that we have to tackle. So a lot of guys under eat and a lot of women get pegged with under eating because that's what we chronically do. But a lot of guys like their magic number, if women's magic number is 1200 calories, the men are like 1850. Don't know where that came from, but I don't know if yeah. you see that. Like Dr. Mike T. Nelson and I were like, 1800 yeah. ish, like literally at the same time, because that's what guys come in eating and they have no idea because their output is so high. And a lot of them have taken up uh, jujitsu. Jiu so Brazilian jujitsu is extremely um, efficient when you're higher level belt, but the guys who are white belts and they're just starting, you are going to burn so many calories. And if you don't bring your nutrition up to match that, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually funny because <laughs> I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but that 1800, 1850 mark is pretty damn spot on. Um, like there's so many, I, I've had a handful of athletes who came to me, actually one athlete who came to me recently, who we just signed on, he was cutting for a, a powerlifting competition and he wanted to drop like a fairly substantial amount of weight. And so I was like, okay, well like, you know, just bring me a food log, we'll, we'll sort this out and then blah, blah, blah. The first week he dropped eight pounds and I was like, whoa, I was like, dude, you I, like, okay, but what, what, what the hell's going on here? Like something really bad is going on. Like, especially if you're a couple weeks up from a, a meet, like you don't want that. And, uh, he was eating like, yeah, same thing, like 1600 calories, 1700 calories or something like that. And I was like, dude, you gotta like bump up your calories. Let's do this a little bit slower and just be a little bit more intentional about it. Cause then he's like, oh yeah, like I strained my adductor and then I strained my shoulder and I strained this and I'm like, well, no shit, dude, you're freaking pushing super hard. You're peaking and you're reducing the recovery resources and your ability to actually express your, your strength. Like, I'm not surprised at all that you got injured. So we kind of made some tweaks, got him back on track. And like, um, now he's thinking a lot more, a lot less about like this competition and a lot more about like, how does your long-term performance, how, how is it going to affect your long-term performance? Like what weight class do you actually want to be in? and things like that because it's yeah it's it's wild like you get these people who are doing these crazy cuts or, or just you know they're having these like red s symptoms like you mentioned and they're just doing themselves a huge disservice meanwhile 
they could maintain their body weight and probably add another seven, eight hundred calories because of the spectrum of, of you know maintenance. Like a lot of times, people think it's just like one number when in reality it's you know well energy flux, right? So totally, totally. And there's a yeah. lot of like wiggle room sometimes because getting some guys to eat up is difficult for them to stay there too. Like they, you know, every guy goes through that cycle where say they've got body fat to lose, they drop the body fat and then they're like, well, I'm too small and they feel skinny fat and they thought they had more muscle than they did, but it was actually body fat. So then it's the discussion of like, well, we have to eat to be able to gain muscle. Guys on their own will eat and call it a dirty bulk. So that's their excuse to actually get fat. And then they realize I don't want to be this fat. So they'll crash diet and end up where they were in the beginning. So if you and I are bringing somebody through a proper body recomposition, we know it takes a very long time, but you don't have to look sloppy because if you're adding calories and you're training the right way, then those things are going to match. And over time, because building muscle is a very obscenely uh, slow process, you're going to look different, but your weight may not change all that much. When you cut again, it's going to be so much easier. Like, it's crazy. I just posted a reel today of one of my clients, Chad, where he first came to me eating the magic 1850, like carnivore style. We got him his calories up, and then this was in February of 2022. So then he wanted to cut for summer. So I only had a few months to build calories up. Now he understood how everything worked. So this past winter, he gained like 35 pounds. He is 10 pounds heavier in his cut, and he started dropping so quickly, I had to keep his calories a little bit higher. And I was like, dude, you look completely different. Like last year, he's 6'3", he was uh, 220, and now he's 230, and it's like a dramatic difference. But you don't realize that when you're going through it until you have like a professional take you through that, and you actually take the time to spend to build that up. And I think that's why it takes like a year at least to understand how it works through this process. But men go through it very similar to women because you can be the same weight three years later and just look completely different. But the man cycle mm. of like the I'm too small, I'm skinny fat, like every, all guys similar, like they go through that and they start laughing when I talk about that. They're like, oh my God, you're talking to me. And I'm like, cause I work with all of you that do this. <laughs> it's so true though. And especially it's like the higher, higher up you get. So at my gym, Every single person there who competes is at minimum national level. Yeah. Every single person at minimum. Um, we've got five guys who deadlift between 820 and 900. Wow. We had a dude the other day who squatted 904 for a double or 920 for a double or something like that. So he's going to squat over a grand in the next little bit here. And like the girls there, if, if you're a girl, even if you weigh like 57 kilos and you're deadlifting like 420... <laughs> That's not uncommon at all. Wow. Like, at all. So the gym is so strong and all the dudes are freaking jacked and massive. So like I finished a cut a while back. I used to be 285, 290. Now I'm 245 and I feel tiny. Like everyone makes fun of me for being skinny. And I'm, I'm 183 centimeters. So uh, like six, like six one, right? And I'm like 245, 247, wow. something like that. And everyone there just makes fun of me for being skinny. And it's like 100% in my head, so it's exactly what you're saying. Oh, my God. It's just so spot on. What There's gym? Like, what gym is this? Uh, the Strength Edge. Where? It's in Calgary, Alberta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of strong dudes, a lot of strong girls. That's awesome. That's for sure. Yeah, we, we yeah. kind of have that, like, in South Florida. Like, 
but we don't have the culture. I, I was in St. Louis speaking at an event this weekend, and there was a place called House of Pain, and literally, like, the oh, yeah. old school stuff, like, they had a Nebula hack squat, they've got Paramount, they've got Prime Equipment, they've got, like, old school Nautilus that looked like a big recliner chair, like, leg extension, you know, with the big cam and stuff, and there's a big sign that said, like, no cell phones. I was like, this is gym culture. We don't have that in South Florida. Like, I go to a lifetime in South Florida. They think I'm an IFBB pro. Like, I'm 59 kilos, and I'm really not big, like, compared to the girls that are actual IFBB pros are giants. But they're mm -hmm. all like, oh, do you compete? And I'm like, no. Like, I just yeah. happen to look like I lift. But go to, like, a, a <laughs> gym like you're talking about, I'd be, like, the smallest person there, and no one would, like, think anything of me. It's crazy how that dynamic shifts and stuff because it is also you're an outlier if you look like you lift nowadays right it's bizarre which is so sad <laughs> it's so sad it's so sad yeah. i hate it like people everywhere now it's like i can't go through an airport and they're like oh do you compete do you do crossfit do you do that and i'm like why can't i just live like why do i have to be doing something to look a certain way like am i going mm -hmm. up to people like you know are you a gamer are you just an eater? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Right? <laughs> so in terms of actual, like, different exercise protocols, um, you know, you can, I mean, there's so many different types, but in terms of some of the types that you see, like, reliably tend to preserve testosterone, tend to preserve someone's sort of hormonal state, um, is there some sort of, like, combination of resistance training and, and aerobic, uh, aerobic fitness? And also, is it kind of a result or um, is it also a result of some of the, the end products, right? So increases in muscle mass, increases in like, you know, capillarization or any of these adaptations that occur to from resistant training to <coughs> fitness, like how does that sort of impact your, your hormonal state? So I love talking about this because this is not news to you, but there are a large amount of people, especially mid 2000s when you know, CrossFit became popular and circuit training kind of got a new identity as high intensity training. Everybody jumped into that. So a lot of people who come from doing only that have never really learned how to properly do old school resistance training, meaning rest periods that last longer than 30 seconds. Like that's like this whole other world, right? And the, what am I supposed to do? Uh, you're supposed to lift hard enough so where you want like five minutes, not three. And getting people to know how to deadlift properly, bench press, squat, press, like actually do pull-ups and stuff without having to jump around in a circuit and stuff like that. That's where like the heavy, grindy, like testosterone producing lifts are. Now we know that it will increase acutely. It does not stay there. However, the more your androgen receptors see this increase, then, oh, okay, cool, I'm going to build muscle, and then I'm going to expend more energy and heat when I move. So to get guys ready to handle this, if they have a very low aerobic fitness platform, I go right at them with aerobic fitness first. And then I have to have the conversation of you're not going to have your muscles fall off, you're not going to turn skinny, you're not going to turn a marathon runner. Basically, you're actually going to recover a lot better, sleep a lot better, and be able to oxidize carbs and fats because now we've got more mitochondria. And I don't really talk sciencey to clients like that, but 
to coaches, they'll understand like the more mitochondria you have, then it's like the more worker bees. So now we can shove uh, carbs and fats in there and the body is going to be able to use it a lot better. So explaining that to clients like, hey, we're going to front load your program with all of this boring shit. That way, later on, we can sprinkle in the fun, high intensity stuff just to maintain that because the drop off is a lot less. And then we start them with maybe higher reps because that helps trick guys into doing cardio um, in addition to the lower intensity stuff. But then I give everybody a variation of a squat, a deadlift, a, a press, an overhead press if they can, pull-ups. They're all doing those basic compound lifts, maybe with some certain lateralization or regression based on their movement profile. But a lot of them are just learning how to actually lift properly and take a proper rest period to be able to duplicate that and then increase their strength. And then they realize, oh, if I chase performance, if I chase PRs and lifts, I kind of have my body as a byproduct of doing all those things versus let me chase fat loss by doing high intensity stuff and then creating this mega stressful sympathetically driven environment that gets me nowhere because I have just cortisol floating around and that's going to keep my testosterone lower. So that's kind of like the general approach that I take. If somebody has a specific goal or timeline, like for photo shoot or they have to look a certain way, then yeah, maybe that changes and it's contextual, but that's kind of the gist. Mm -hmm. And so you touched on something previously that, um, I think is pretty interesting that I'd like to go into, and that was sort of body fat percentages and, you know, somewhat relative insulin sensitivity. Um, I know you mentioned that, you know, taking someone down from like 20% to 15% could improve their insulin sensitivity and, and a handful of other things. So I've, I've heard a variety of different things um, in terms of like metabolic health and, you know, all this other stuff. I think some of the difficulty in talking about metabolic health, especially when, because I've, I've heard that there's not really a big difference, you know, between 25%, 15%. I really struggle with that personally. And I'd love to hear your perspective because like, it, it was almost like when people were talking about obesity and how you can still be healthy and they're like, Oh, look, these guys, metabolic panels are healthy. And it's like, okay, but first of all, they're not, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't call them healthy. I would say they're not like really problematic yet. But the second thing is this is a chronic disease which means that the issues develop over time. And so, you know, if you're measuring someone at 20%, 25% or whatever, and you're, you're measuring their insulin sensitivity, it's like, okay, what time course in their life is that? And will they be able to maintain that same level of insulin sensitivity down the road? And so, I, I don't know, that was always a question I had. I would kind of probably lean towards, you know, what you, what you mentioned, but I would love to kind of if hear your, your perspective going a little bit deeper on that. Yeah, so that that's like there's obviously various tech that people can use to kind of see trends because when you get blood work done, it's a snapshot in time. And very rarely, like if you're just going to a, a routine blood work, are you going to get uh, insulin levels, including um, glucose and then uh, like more of like the liver enzymes too. That's important to understand how your body is handling detox and stuff because fatty liver non-alcoholic fatty liver has actually increased in popularity for people who have very poor health, but may look a certain way. So if glucose is just chronically elevated and so is insulin, then it's understanding why. 
And there's more advanced tests, things like glycomark and stuff like that, because hemoglobin A1C is only kind of a snapshot as well. So there are people who are leaner who maybe have crazy looking labs, but again, understanding, okay, is this a one-time thing or is this something that is, you know, trending? Um, continuous glucose monitors are super hot right now. And I think people freak out when their insulin goes up or when their glucose goes up, but that's supposed to happen. So it's more understanding, like, does it come down or does it stay up and does it stay elevated? How stressed is somebody? So it's another, it's another push for doing aerobic training because if somebody is super stressed, their resting heart rate is ridiculously high. Their HRV is probably through the floor. Their blood pressure is really high. When they sit in front of you, are they like hyperventilating? So we know they're just sitting running glycolysis and breaking down all the time. So we have to kind of flip that around by bringing them more parasympathetic, building more mitochondria. So that will bring down their resting heart rate. That'll bring down their blood pressure. Like we know the easiest way to bring blood pressure down and resting heart rate is aerobic training. Nobody wants to do that. It's boring. It's, it's easy to talk about. So when it comes to dropping body fat, if you lower the glucose load by lowering carbs initially, then that can help increase the aerobic training, build the mitochondria. Over time, someone will get leaner. I've seen it happen in my own clients. I've started people on 75 grams of carbs. And I have these guys, as they drop body fat, their carbs go up. One of my guys I, I have in my slides started him at 75 grams. Over the course of time, he built up to three to 400 a day. And now he's got three days a week, three days during the week where he's over 400 grams of carbs because he's starting to look scrawny and flat and like his workouts are starting to suffer. And I'm like, damn. So now we've got more, you know, muscle, we've got more storage for glycogen. That anecdotal evidence right in front of me shows that, okay, he could obviously handle all these carbs when he was very overweight and pushing 30% body fat. I don't think he would have that same shift in his aesthetics that he did because his body was not performing that way. So we had to get all that workout, you know, uh, out of the way through the beginning. So as far as like, is 25 to 20, a big difference from 15, you know, I personally think so too, because I think that again, the lower someone's body fat is in relative terms. Like there's people that say like 22 to 25 is healthy for guys. And I'm like, I, I would bring that a little bit lower <laughs> just, just mm -hmm. personally, you know, like if you can see your abs, that's a good thing. That's not something that is unhealthy. Like when you're, you know, 5% body fat, like veins on the abs, maybe you're stepping on stage. Yeah. We know that that's not something that's necessarily sustainable around the, the, throughout the year. And there's some health consequences that might come with that. But to say that being low body fat is unhealthy is like, that's a whole warped earth. Yeah, there is definitely like a, a big shift with the whole body positivity thing where it's like, I'd hear a lot of coaches be like, well, having abs doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. 
And it's like, well, that's a pretty disingenuous statement to make because it's like saying money doesn't buy happiness. It's like no one's saying that money, do money buys happiness. However, it's 100% certain that money does buffer stress, that money does offer you resources to help your family and do other things and have life experiences that are meaningful and that does bring happiness. So it's like, I kind of see it as the same thing, right? Where it's like, oh, well, you know, not everyone can have abs. I've heard people say that. I personally do not buy that for one second. <laughs> um, I just don't. Especially when you look like, it's like 40 years ago, look 40, 50 years ago, and then you look at the average you know, body fat percentage, it's so much lower, you know, like we've got like a 70% obese rate now. Meanwhile, back in like the fifties or something like that, it was like, what, 10%, 20%. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. like, we're, we're talking like several orders of magnitude increases in just a couple of decades. And, um, so yeah, I just, I don't, I don't buy that either. I, I would probably agree with you that, you know, somewhere like around the 15, percent if you can see abs like that's that's pretty healthy yeah well you know? think about like if, if all of this was flipped right so if people walked around saying you know oh are you in an eating competition like are you a plus size model like things that are the opposite of what they asked us people would that's lose so awesome. their minds hey, are you a plus size model oh my god yeah or How like are would you get pregnant <laughs> to a woman like yeah like they have mannequins that are like this stereotype of dad bods with with a belly. Yeah. Yo, that no, and and then to say that a guy with abs as on a mannequin is wrong, it, it's just like it, it's it's this warped vision. I mean, literally, I had a guy come at me for saying the word obese, and I was like, why? He was like, watch yourself. I, I was like, why? He was like, that's a sensitive word. I'm like, actually, it's a medical term. Like, and, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just trying to be realistic. Like, this is your health. If you don't yeah. care, by all means, have at it. But I'm in the business of, like, keeping people alive and healthy and having them live a fulfilling life where they don't have to spend money on sick care. Invest in your, you know, preventative care or whatever, optimization, but, like, I don't even know where this comes from of, of saying that all of this is okay because it has completely shifted, but it's like this fat shaming and fit shaming can be equally like, it's literally, you can make it happen, just flip on the other side, but we're not going to say stuff like that. If someone's like, do you compete? I'm not going to be like, you know, I obviously take it as a compliment, but mm -hmm. when people make fun of you, you know, me for like not drinking or lifestyle choices or wanting to go to bed early it's like I never say to somebody like on the plane, oh, you're going to eat those? Like if I whipped out tuna, yeah, it would smell like shit. But like people aren't like, oh, anyway, enough. <laughs> no, I, I agree. A lot of the word policing is a little bit ridiculous because it's like, okay, if you don't want obesity, if you don't want me to say obesity, what word do you want me to say that means that? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, so now we just swapped the word, but it's got the exact same meaning. It's like, what kind of games are we trying to play here? Like, this is a bit ridiculous, you know, like, like my, my coach, Luke Lehman says, somebody has a lot of stored energy. Okay. I think we could say that. <laughs> That's fair. Awesome. Um, so we're coming up on that hour mark and I wanted to be respectful of your time, but, uh, I, I wanted to talk about something that you have coming up a really big event this, yep. uh, this weekend, actually it's May 5th to 7th. Um, it's a silverback summit. 
I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about um, what that's about, what you guys are doing, and how people can uh, can join the event. So I created the Silverback Summit because gorillas are my logo. And the short story behind that is I felt the eggplant emoji was a poor representation of men's health and that the gorilla emoji made more sense. So here we are. Um, the Silverback Summit is a collection of my most trusted experts in men's health from the fitness and medical side. So you will get an understanding of why TRT is safe, how to navigate those conversations, all the misconceptions and myths are addressed, PEDs are addressed, how to safely navigate that. Rick Collins and I talk about masculinity and things that probably could get us canceled in other platforms. Um, heart health, I've got Dr. Mike Twyman, one of the best cardiologists ever, who talks about how there's no such thing as good or bad cholesterol. I've got business talks. I, I've got so many awesome dudes. There's 25 speakers. It is absolutely free to attend. And yes, the recordings are for sale if you register. So that's happening over the course of this weekend. I'm talking to you. I always forget to say that. Um, and I'm going to talk about my process on how I create action figures. But basically, if you want to know anything having to do with anything in men's health, this is going to be the place that you're going to want to hang out. Awesome. So where can people find you? Come slide in the DMs on Instagram at the Ali Gilbert, A-L-I. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. I'll put her Instagram as well as a link uh, to where she, you, can, you guys can sign up for the Silverback Summit in the show notes. Make sure you check her out. She does a ton of really, really great work, posts a lot of awesome content. It's super informative and also very, very funny. So if you guys like a lot of my satire posts that I make, you're definitely going to love a lot of hers. I actually just uh, recently reshared one of your posts um, about effective birth control. <laughs> and it's like, you've got like birth control. It's like, you know, condoms are like 99% effective. This is, you know, 78% effective. Lifting gloves, 125% effective. And then I can't remember what the other ones were, but it, it was, it was freaking awesome. So the toe shoes. Um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of great stuff like that. So it's really, really funny, really informative. Um, definitely go check her out. Thank you so much, Allie, for, for jumping on. It's been great having you. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. I appreciate it.